From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On the centennial anniversary of the dawn of the program, the 2006 Florida football team took the program back to the pinnacle, rolling to their second national title exactly 10 years after claiming their first. And while the 2007 team boasted a tremendous amount of talent and a Heisman Trophy for Tim Tebow, painful losses to Auburn, LSU, Georgia, and Michigan gave the overall campaign a sour taste of underachievement. But with almost all of the key stars from that young squad coming back in 2008, the hunger was evident and the expectations were high. This is The Promise Fulfilled, the story of the 2008 football national champions. You're listening to Episode 1, Championship or Bust. Success breeds confidence, and there's no question that the younger up-and-comers that played key roles in 2006 were feeling pretty good about themselves in the aftermath of that team's accomplishments as rising junior linebacker Brandon Spikes clearly recalls. Man, I felt like a rock star. Wherever, anywhere we went in Florida, yo, mm-hmm. it, was, it was crazy. Like basketball was dominant, everything. I feel like all the sports was at that time, but just the sports winning the national championship was just, you know, Joe Kim, just seeing those guys, how they, how they jail, you know, just hanging out throughout campus and stuff. You knew they were special. You could tell. Mm-hmm. You could just tell. It was just like a, a aura of them, this energy. Even with that, with our older guys, too, like you could tell, like, the years they had put in or whatever, it was going to all pay off. It was just a good thing. We came in at perfect time. You know what I'm saying? Urban brought us in and right. just to fill in the pieces, the missing puzzle, you know what I'm saying, the missing pieces. The unprecedented championship culture permeating through the program was certainly awe-inspiring. But as head coach Urban Meyer remembers, it also created lofty expectations that at times seemed unattainable. You know, the basketball and football program lived off each other, uh, but it became also burdensome. I'll never forget Joe Kim Noah one time talking to me after a big win, and it kind of got chewed. I was in the locker room with him, and he looked at me and goes, you know, it used to be fun to win around here. The only thing acceptable was a big win and a national title. While the 2006 team delivered a national title, few put that pressure on them from the outset of their season, which the voice of the Gators' Mick Hubert notes was markedly different from the 2008 hype. With, with Tebow having won the Heisman in 2007, yeah, it was a total different thing. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't want to say that winning the 06 championship kind of snuck up on people because that that would not be doing service to the accomplishments of the players on the field but like i said uh, earlier i don't know as we were watching those games you know weeks six seven eight nine that we felt we were watching a national championship team well now you're talking a year and a half later at the outset of the 08 season now the expectations are totally through the roof We've already won a national championship. Many of these guys are back, including a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. The missing pieces like Spikes, Tebow, and Harvin may have finished the 2006 puzzle. But as Spikes was reminded by a key leader of that team, there were also new responsibilities they had to take on if they wanted to continue competing at the highest level. You know, okay, so a funny story for me personally, I remember uh, Brendan Siler. He was a funny guy. He always, you know, he had... 
he's always the life of the party, you know. He come the loudest one in the room. But I remember uh, after you know we had one in that championship, he came to me. It was like a week or maybe like a week later, a couple of days. I can't even remember. But I was in my in my dorm freshman. I was staying in Springs, and I get this knock at my door at like ten o'clock or something. Or t- I, f- I forget what it was, but mm-hmm. he was just telling me he came like he had a suit on and stuff like that, and he was like, you know, I, I think I'm a, you know, enter the draft and I'm gonna hand you the keys to the swamp. This belongs to you now, like kind of like <laughs> passing it down to me. And I was like, is he serious right now? Like, what's happening right now? Like, but he was dead serious. I think he had like a suit on and like three cell phones, crazy. And I was like, yo, this dude is so anime. He's serious. He should act. Siler's bombast aside. There was a lot of truth to his message, as it was time for the underclassmen to grow into the upperclassmen the program needed. But they also needed the class below them to ratchet up their game a notch or two as well. And rising sophomore safety Ahmad Black remembers that message being clearly sent in the offseason. I mean, the talent was there. We did some some shuffling. Um, our secondary was my first year starting. Uh, Janelle Jenkins as a freshman. Joe Hayden started the year before and major was in and out so we had a lot of guys that were like hey you know they didn't play last year you know we don't know what type of of, of output we're going to get from these guys terrence sanders is another one um lawrence marsh is another one um cunningham is another one these guys you know play but sparingly you know so I had no idea what type of output we're going to get from these guys but you know going into that 2008 season was one of the hardest uh, off seasons I ever had. Um, it wasn't even close out of the four years. And um, I think um, because of, of, of the circumstances, how we underachieved the year before um, is a big part of the reason why it was so hard. Um, I remember losing uh, four games as a freshman in 2007, and we had to run the stadium and touch every step in there uh, for every game we lost. So all the steps have been Hill Griffin four times. <laughs> We wouldn't do it, obviously, all four in a row, but, you know, it would be on Friday. So we'd do, like, Friday morning, team run, and, you know, it will be that, you know. So, just you know, we, we, we knew we had to, to play a lot better. And, we you know, I, I don't even know um, in the offseason at that point, I knew I was going to be the starter. So um, we were just trying to get better. We, you know, we didn't know where the pieces were going to be at until maybe a week before Hawaii game when start stuff really start put you know, pieces start getting put together. But, I mean, we, could, we couldn't lose four games again. For the incoming freshman class, even though they didn't feel the sting of disappointment experienced by the returners from 2007, running back Jeff Demps still sensed the focus and intensity from day one. I didn't even understand like the expectation that everybody had on the season. I was just like, man, this this program is aggressive, man. Like, which that's what I like. You know what I mean? That was right. the, one of the the key things to get me there. Was like, hey, man we gonna bring the best out of you and i'm like man i don't even i don't even know what that looks like so mm-hmm. if this guy can say he's gonna make me you know this incredible uh athlete i want to see what that's like you know what i mean so mm-hmm. that was like one of the main uh selling points so that's why i want to go there so when i got in as a freshman and i seen the way these guys were grinding and like everybody had a chip on the shoulder and i was like man this is the this kind of stuff I live for, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So it was like I, I didn't even know the expectation. I just thought like, man, which it is, you know. Now I understand like, okay, that's just the Gator standard. But at the time, I'm like, this is crazy. I can understand why this guy will come down and and look me in my eye, you know, in in the classroom or in the on the house visit and tell me that he can bring the best out of me because mm-hmm. of this, you know what I mean. So I understood it, but I didn't understand that 
that what it came what came from that 07 season. I didn't fully understand it at that point. It's certainly important for the players to understand expectations, but it's also key for the vision to come from the top, which was clear from the leadership of athletic director Jeremy Foley. That's what you want. You know, any of your programs, expectations are good. The place like the University of Florida, you want expectations. Obviously, you know, sometimes it's nice to come from come from behind, come out of the weeds, but you know, sometimes you, it's not going to happen. You know, places, you know, you want to be, you want to, this is the big leagues, you know, and you know, places like Alabama, you know, places like Kentucky and Duke and basketball, there are expectations every year. That's who Florida wants to be, always wanted to be, and that year was no different. And, um, you know, credit to Urban and his coaching staff for putting together a great a great group of kids. You know, those kids for working hard and it being important to them and having goals and, you know, wanting to, you know, be the best. Um, you know, so, again, expectations can cause issues, pressures, as we saw in 07. And, you know, obviously we saw in 09. Um, but in 08, it was kind of like, let's go. Um, they knew what they had put together, and they knew what they had. And those expectations going into 2008, again, that's what you always wanted a place like the University of Florida, in my opinion. One of the reasons optimism was so high was because of an incredible array of offensive playmakers, one of the best and deepest rosters in program history. That gave offensive coordinator Dan Mullen arguably too many weapons to deploy. You know, psychologically, you got to keep a lot of people happy, and that wasn't easy. Um, schematically it made a lot of fun because you could really sit there and say hey you know okay you could look and say who does the defense want to take away and hey they're want to double this guy or they're going to double that guy they're going to put an extra guy in the box to stop tim running the ball uh and when they do that you're creating someone's going to create get the one-on-one matchup someone's going to have the advantageous matchup you know, so I think it was one of those that it was a lot of fun and it made you a really explosive offensive team uh, because it was hard to defend. You know, I mean, there were enough weapons that if, if you wanted to take one aspect away, you were going to leave one or two other guys singled up. And those guys were better than than your guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think the key was of just you know, how do we create the matchups? I mean, like all of a sudden, all right, let's, we're going to stop Percy and Hernandez and, and Murphy and Cooper and, and, you know, someone keep an eye on Tim Tebow. And all of a sudden there goes a Jeff Demps or Chris Rainey. And the second they're six inches past somebody, they're gone. I mean, they're, right. they're, that's a, that's an 80 yard touchdown. Um, I think the offense was just so explosive and scary. It kept defenses on their, on their heels the whole year. The operative word when it came to this Gator offense was speed, and they had it in spades with the likes of Percy Harvin, Chris Rainey, and Jeff Demps all serving as home run threats out of the backfield. Hindsight has proven just how dynamic that group was, but as Demps remembers, nothing seemed that out of the ordinary at the time. It's so crazy, like you, like when you mention it, it's like when at the time, you know, it just felt like like a regular squad, right? Like, okay, well, this guy's fast. I'm used to being around some fast guys. And then you don't really realize it and understand it until, you know, after, and then you look back. But at the time, it was like, man, it was just a bunch of competitive guys that everybody thought they were the fastest. Everybody thought they were the best. So that's how, you know, each and every day we competed. And, you know, like I said, even in the games, it was like, to have a guy like Percy, to have a guy like Rainey or, you know, Raleigh Cooper or Murph, you know, it, it kind of takes the target off of you. So, you know, it gives you 
time to stand out and then once you get a little shine and everybody targets you Mm -hmm. then you know with so many weapons in that way i think that's why we had a lot of success because it was so many weapons that you couldn't just target one guy you know what i mean like you couldn't account for this guy so it always opened doors for the next person to shine and of course we wasn't a selfish group either so in addition to setting up the gator offense for success entering the season that bevy of talent on the practice field also had a huge impact on the defense's development, which was led by Brandon Spikes. It was just like this brotherhood, man. It was weird. I feel like, you know, when I see a lot of these guys, I bump into them every now and then, you know, it's, that bond is still there. Mm-hmm. The energy is, is still there. But Herb used to talk to me all the time about le- being a leader, you know, and I was like, you know, coach, you ain't really got to worry about what I'm doing, man. I'm, I'm going to make sure I do what I need to do just so I don't embarrass my family. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? My people. And they can go after Saturday. They can go in next weekend, you know, and be like, hey, you see my cousin on Saturday? You see him? <laughs> yeah. You see him? Gator's number one in the country. And guess who the star middle linebacker is? My cousin. <laughs> right, right, right. So, but that and not letting my, my teammates, that was important to me and the coaches and everybody else. You know, I, I think the media, you know how the media, the media was saying what they needed to say, whatever. They was all, I feel like they were still kind of you know, favoring those Big Ten schools at the time, too. Mm-hmm. We still, it was like, come on now, we back in the show again. We still can't get no respect. They was talking about SC and all these other schools that play two games right. a season. Right, <laughs> Two right. big games a season. I'm <laughs> like, yo. But, in it, but for us, we knew we would have the bullseye on us, too. You know, everybody trying to knock us off. So that, that was fun, too. So we knew we had to bring our A game. No playing around. Just put people away. And we had that type of talent, man, where we could really do whatever. I know offensively, they just was stacked. Mm-hmm. I, I I remember, I think that was one of the questions too. Yeah, offensively, man, the practices, that's what, what made the game a lot easier for us defensively because our practice against those guys, man, they, I'll just say this, they were intense. It was a lot harder to practice. The, the practice was a lot harder than the games. I'm just say that. Right. And we talking about top 10 schools playing each other and, and electric atmosphere, you know, 8 o'clock games. And that game was easy. You know what I'm saying? That was a walk in the park, believe it or not. Mm. Practice, coming out there in that heat, you know what I'm saying? You know, been in class all day, you got to go get it. This person try to rip your head off so he can burn <laughs> you on tape every single day. It just don't stop. Right. And I was like, man, this is crazy. But Urban was like, it ain't going to get no better than this, Spice. Enjoy all of this. Cause this is the NFL. Look around. All these guys will be playing in the NFL one day. And the majority of them was. I know the numbers, what they say, doesn't that? But the, our guys we had in the, on the defensive side and offensively, a lot of those guys still in the NFL. Very true. And play, not just in there, they playing at a high level still. Yeah. yeah. The culture and leadership are why you win. And the culture uh, on that team uh, of excellence, it was an elite culture. And it was all about preparation. And uh, that was when you talk about the mantra. 2006 was a chance to do something that has been done in a long time and disrespect and the underdog. This was all about how hard can you prepare? How hard can you go and practice? And that's what I'll remember about the 018. Motivation was clearly not an issue for this team at the outset of the year. And Ahmad Black remembers that juice coming from both Meyer and longtime strength and conditioning coach Mickey Marotti. I think a lot of it has to do with, with Mickey and, and, and Urban together. I mean, um, those two guys together, putting their heads together, it was just like a mastermind, you know. And we love to open Urban's head and just, you know, observe how he thinks because it's, just, it's, it's it's very different from the average person, I can tell you that. But, you know, I love the guy, you know, dearly. And, you know, the, the, the things that he taught us on and off the field 
are things that we would, you know, we would never forget, you know, even, you know, to this day, how I treat my family and my kids and whatnot. And with my wife, it's just, it's lessons that he kind of taught us coming through, um, through college. And so I think a lot of it had to do with Mickey and Urban. Um, but I got to tell you, though, a lot of the offseason stuff was, was Mickey because it was like we had two head coaches, you know, one, one, we with Mickey, you know, all summer and then we're, you know, with Urban throughout the season. So um, he kind of like, you know, washes the sand. With, uh, with us in the summertime. Much like Spikes mentioned earlier, the juniors bore the weight of letting the standard drop in 2007, which return specialist Brandon James insists set the 2008 bar outrageously high. Oh, no doubt it was championship or bust. Again, we learned we learned the blueprint from uh, that senior class in 06, and we felt like we let those guys down in 07, you know, losing the game uh, – having the losses that we had and losing to Michigan in the bowl game. And, you know, yeah, everyone had individual accolades. Tebow won the Heisman. I was an All-American. Percy was. Everyone had individual success. But as a team, we weren't good at all. And to be honest with you, uh, we felt like, you know, a lot of us let the team down because I can vividly remember that offseason. You know, we weren't ready to be leaders. We weren't ready to come into the weight room every day and lead and set the example and all that good stuff there. So when that 08 season came, we were ready to show and prove, and we were just foaming at the mouth to, you know, get back to that national title, SEC championship level. So that offseason, Coach Mickey Mirati did a great job of killing us, killing us, and reminding us that, hey, no Sean Marino rushed for this amount of yards last year. Now, don't forget that. You know, they celebrated and danced on you guys. Don't forget that. Uh, LSU went for it. Les Miles went for it 100 times on fourth down. So you guys on deep, you guys on defense, you're pretty soft if someone's going to keep going for it on fourth down. So, they did a great job of reminding us and not letting us get comfortable with the accolades and all the awards that we had uh, been presented from that 07 season. So and when 08 hit, man, we were just ready to get back, back on top. The campaign kicked off with a matchup that was much tougher in theory than it was in reality, as the Hawaii team that came to the Swamp was much different than the one that made an undefeated run to the Sugar Bowl the year prior. Without quarterback Colt Brennan, Florida steamrolled the Rainbow Warriors 56-10, to fueled by game-changing plays from special teams and the ball-hawking defense. It's a low ball, not hit very well. Hits at the uh, 34. James picks it up on the hop of the 26. Comes to the 30. Now veers to the right of the 30. Turns the corner. James 35, 40, 45, 50 across midfield. James at the 40. James down the near sideline. There goes James. 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Oh, my. Brandon James with an electrifying putt return for the Gators. Here's Rouch, and the shotgun takes the snap and fires the ball to the field, and he's throwing another interception for Ahmad Black, and Black is going to return the ball on the near sideline, and Black inside the 50, inside the 40, gets free at the 30, to the 20, to the 10. Black is going to take it all the way for a touchdown. Oh, my, Ahmad Black. Let me just tell you this. I, um, I had this ritual thing that I would do on Sunday. I would watch breakfast with the Gators. Yep, so I would watch breakfast with the Gators, and then I would go to the store and get the newspaper. So see, you know what? How they talked about the game, but that was my first game. That was my first game starting. So I had did it the whole year before as a freshman, right? So when I come back as a sophomore, and I and I played that like that the first game, and then I go to the store and I freaked out because I go to grab the Gainesville Sun and I'm on the front and I'm like, not not the sports. The front of the Gainesville Sun is me. What? Like I'm like I couldn't believe it, bro. It was awesome. Week two brought the renewal of a dormant rivalry as Florida and Miami were set to meet for the first time in five years. 
Given the number of players that either went to high school together or were connected in some way, Demps recalls it being an emotionally charged week filled with trash talk and bulletin board material. It was crazy, you know, because, you know, I knew Miami was down for a while, like in a slump. And, you know, they had, you know, their recruiting class coming from Miami Northwestern and the whole South Florida, right? So it was like high expectations for those guys. And these the guys supposed to come and change the program. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, the U is back, right? Right. So for us, you know, it's like, man, you know, like we the top school in Florida, you know, it's like we the, the toughest, the fastest, the strongest, whatever you want to call it. Like that's us. And I just remember that week, man, just being so crazy. And then one story I do remember is actually when uh Murph will get an interview. I don't know who who he was doing the interview with, and he was like, "Oh well, if winning championships is the you, you know, we the we the real you." And I'm <laughs> like, "Oh, oh, the, the big time Miami guy. Like, who is this guy? We don't even know who you are. You disrespect the you like that. So it was crazy, you know, going to the barbershops and you know, and and uh, you know, getting the haircuts before the games and everything, and leading up." You know, all the guys, you know, yeah, the Miami guys that's in Gainesville, like, oh, man, the you back, you know, it's going to be trouble. And, you know, for me, I'm young, so I don't really know. I'm like, man, this this atmosphere is wild, man. But, you know, I loved it. But it was just, it was a lot, a lot of juice around that game. But I do remember Murph, man. Mm-hmm. Murph stirred up a big pot, man. But, you know, we backed it up. But <laughs> I know you got all the, the big time you guys rattled up with that. Here's Brandon James. Well, I remember it being game day, and I, me and Murph were joking about this the other day. I remember uh, Murphy making that comment that uh, we were the real you. They weren't. <laughs> Miami wasn't the you. <laughs> uh, and so we had to go out there and stand behind his words, of course. Um, but, again, man, you, you, you grew up in Florida. You know who Sean Taylor is, Willis McGahee, Michael Irvin, even going back further to all those older teams. Man, you know who all these people are. You know what the University of Miami stands for. So for us, being in college and being able to compete against those guys in college game day, we were ready to go. And then again, Mur- uh, uh, Murphy making a comment he did, um, it was like, God, leave man, we got to go play now. And I remember Jim Rome tearing Murphy down about it. He tearing Murphy down about it. Like, oh, he this kid thinks he's this and that. He hasn't even done anything. And Murph was having a terrible game because of those comments. He couldn't catch a pass, all kind of stuff. But he actually did have some good numbers towards the end. This is Ahmad Black. I just remember uh, building up that week. It was awesome. You know, just getting an opportunity to, to try to flip around history a little bit because we were, we were on the losing part of it um, for, for a little while. But um, we got an opportunity to try to flip that around. And, you know, going into uh, leading up to that week, we uh, we were in the media and they were in the media. And uh, I remember uh, Lewis Murphy calling, calling us the real you. And uh, Michael Irvin getting upset. And, you know, how he does. He going his rants and whatever. But... Um, you know, we came out and, and, you know, it was a close game at the beginning, um, about halftime. Um, they couldn't move the ball. We were moving it kind of slowly, but surely here and there. We weren't getting into the end zone. I think we had kicked maybe like two or three field goals or something like that. And then we blocked that punt right before half, I think. And that's what kind of like swung it around. Um, I think that was one of the loudest, if the, not the loudest game in the swamp. Um, I remember looking over at Major Wright and trying to check and make signals and calls and we couldn't even hear each other. And we were like right next to each other, so. That game was, it was pretty insane. While the Gators didn't run away with this game the way they hoped, they were always in control, with special teams again doing its part just before heading into the locker room. Miami's got to keep it away from him. And Bosher to punt, and the Gators are coming after it, and Jeff Demps has blocked it, and the Gators are going to get a touchdown. Oh, my! They sent the house up the middle of the field. Demps got a hand on it. 
and it's going to be called a safety and not a touchdown as Miami apparently got back on it. Lewis Murphy came in there also, and it's going to be points for the Gators in the form of a safety as they did, in fact, block the Matt Bosher punt attempt. We had this... Uh this uh, stat sheet, uh, it was, if you block the punt, you know, it's, uh, I think, a 90% chance that you win the football game. Huh. So we always wanted to block a punt or a kick, anything we can block, we wanted it. So, uh, you know, being a young guy trying to uh, make a name for myself and then, you know, being able to block the punt before the half, you know, I think it created a lot of momentum. That was that was a, a really big play for me, man, that, that stands out. But, you know, it's, it's a special teams play, and, you know, a lot of people don't take pride in it. But I think you know, seeing that team and seeing how we went about things, I think it changed the perspective of a special teams unit, definitely. We were just ready to go, and I remember we wanted to really dominate them, which we did. We didn't put up the points we wanted, but they couldn't score. We held the uh, the momentum of the game all game, and they couldn't really do anything. But, uh, you know, it was a special game for me, still is, because, again, you got to compete against the University of Miami. You won and dominated them. And I remember when I uh, went to the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Javaris James, Edrin's nephew, who played running back at the time for them. Me and him, you know, didn't know each other, but knew of each other. Uh, always had respect for each other. We were in the same class, so I knew him. I went to the Nike camp when he was, uh, when we both were seniors down in Miami and all that good stuff there. So I remember we, as soon as we got to Indianapolis, we had the longest conversation and biggest laughs about that game because he had stories about what his coaches were saying about me. I had stories to share with him about what we thought about him and their team. So it was just a great moment, man, being able to compete against guys you knew, guys you had grew up knowing and competing against in high school. And uh, so I, I, it was, I was excited and just at the same time happy we were able to dominate them the way we did because that is the U. That's so funny because every time we beat Miami, all of a sudden their team wasn't that good. So that's what they always say. It's like, oh, we didn't have this and that. Um, their, their thing was, oh, our team was young. Well, our team was actually younger, um, the guys that were playing. So. Um, we weren't we weren't going for that. Um, they always want to want to use that throw that excuse up, but that gave us a lot of momentum going into uh, the uh, SEC play. Um, I think we played Tennessee the week after that. So um, you know, coming in and, and putting a beating on Hawaii, coming in and, and keeping um, Miami out of the end zone, they did get the three points. Um, was was huge for our momentum going into the next week. Florida's defense was right to feel good about themselves as they held Miami to just 140 total yards in the 26 to three win. But SEC play is often a different animal, Rocky Top to be specific. While the Gators had clobbered the Vols the year before in Gainesville, their last meeting in Knoxville was 2006's razor-thin 21-20 squeaker. As the Orange and Blue prepared for their first road trip, Demps remembers how the coaches focused on handling all the elements, especially the noise and that song that seemingly runs on a loop. I was recruited by Tennessee, so, hmm. you know, it was I, I, I kind of knew the hate between Tennessee and Florida. And then, you know, going to Rocky Top, take, actually taking a, uh, an official visit to Rocky Top and seeing the culture there. So I kind of understood a little bit about it. But then, you know, coming into it as a Gator, you know, the whole week, man, we played Rocky Top and practice throughout the locker room, the training room, and practice like the whole week. So it's like – Man, we hit Rocky Top one more time, man. We're going to go crazy. <laughs> so, you know, Irving, like, man, you know, the main thing was going to that stadium, lock the gates, you know, and dominate. And then, you know, by the by the halftime, we want to see the fans leave. That was the whole thing. And then we came in, like I said, we came in and just dominated, man. Then one of the, the memories for me were, 
you know, just seeing the, the crowd. I think it was like 110,000 that day. And, you know, it looked it like like it went down to 5,000. <laughs> you know, it was slowly like seeing surely, that. Yeah. Slowly but surely, like seeing that, man, was like I'd never seen anything like it. It was crazy. So, but, you know, that was kind of like putting a stamp, man. Like, you know, we dominated. With Florida leading 10 nothing late in the first quarter, Brandon James struck again. Chad Cunningham will kick it away. High, not real deep. James running up, making the catch, and James to the 25. James breaks a tackle at the 27, gets to the 30. James to the 35. James to the 40. James to the 50. And there goes James at the 30. There goes James. James will go all the way for another punt return touchdown against Tennessee. He's done it again. Oh, my. Brandon James has taken another one to the checkerboard here in Knoxville, and the Gators lead 16 to nothing. I know going into that week, um, again, you know, me, that being my junior year, Coach Meyer kind of getting used to the idea of people kicking away from me. So he's like, okay, we're going to put Percy back here with you, but, you know, we want you to get it. And, uh, you know, Percy validating that because I remember in practice, we were back there practicing it. And he goes, look, B, I'm just back here, man. If they kick that ball, I'm not catching it. He hated <laughs> punt returns. He hated punt returns. So he's like, don't even look at me and expect me to catch it. And, you know, that's Percy, so I'm like, okay, but. You know, you're Percy Harvey, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> if the ball's kicked to you, it's not like I'm going to run in front of you and catch it. But so that I remember being back there with him and they just it was kind of like a sky punt. They kind of punted it real high. And I again, I looked at him and he didn't move. So I was like, all right, I'm taking it um, and just catching the ball. And I remember that play vividly because, you know, I felt like I was doing a lot of dance and I had to make a lot of people miss. But once I got free and, you know, I was able to straighten up soon as I was uh, approaching the end zone. Crazy to believe Quentin Hancock, he played for Tennessee at the time. Me and him were teammates uh, at Sonault. And um, he was, you know, we grew up together from around. I mean, literally, we stay around the corner from each other. I'm at his house all the time. He's at my house. So his mom, his his cousins, his uncles, all of those people are like my family. And when I'm running to the end zone, it, the pitcher's like still out today with me pointing in the end zone. And I'm pointing at them because <laughs> all of them are draped in Rocky Top gear. But they're, they're basically about to try to jump over the thing because they're excited for me. Hmm. And uh, I'm pointing at them, and I'm, you know, trying to celebrate with them. And so it was a moment, man, that was crazy because I'm I'm making a play like that in a big SEC game. And everyone that got to see me grow up and see me come from, you know, the little kid who played baseball and basketball and, you know, all those good things. Now he's at this level making these plays. They're right there and able to experience it, man. And so that was really special for me. And, uh, you know, I just remember that vividly. And uh, after the game, they were just still going crazy about it. And still to this day, we still talk and joke and laugh about that kind of stuff. Because, again, those are people that got to see you through your years. And then they get to see you in those big moments. So that's that's special to me. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge Brandon James guy. That's, that's one of my one of my good friends. So, um, you know, Brandon James always opened the game up, um, especially against Tennessee. Um, one, one of his huge returns and. I just remember, you know, getting off the off the uh, off the bus, and the fans are, are, are somewhat going crazy, um, you know. And, it, and I heard, you know, Nina Stadium gets loud, but the two times I was there, it didn't really get too loud. So, <laughs> so that's what they say. So uh, we're usually around about halftime is when they start getting up out of there. So uh, when Brandon James ran back the first punt, I remember Janoris Jenkins had a really really good game that game. Um, he, that was his first game coming in and, and actually getting some, some quality playing time for us. You know, we, we kept those guys uh, pretty quiet the rest of the game. The Gators kept their second straight opponent out of the end zone in a 30-6 win, setting up a return to the Swamp the following Saturday against Ole Miss.
The nooner against the unranked and generally unheralded Rebels wasn't supposed to be close or even interesting. But as Dan Mullen remembers, that's when you're most vulnerable. I was scared to death going into that game. Um, you know, I thought, you know, I came into the first meeting and I said, hey, these guys, this is a really good football team we're playing. Uh, I think they had just lost to Vanderbilt the week before, but they turned it over, I think, six times. It was wow. their minus six turnover ratio or something. I said, okay, that, that's a complete anomaly. You know, and they lost by three to Vanderbilt with that type of performance. And I'm looking at the town and I said, and I think there are, you know, I mean, there were one or two even coaches on our staff probably, you know, were like, hey, you know, hey, what, what are we worried about? This isn't that big a deal. And I think the players, though, even more importantly, took the game really lightly. And, you know, they said, hey, you know, it, it was a, I remember it was an early kick. Um, you know, Old Miss had just lost to Vanderbilt. And our guys were like, hey, they you know, we're Florida. If it was, you know, we'd be prime time or we'd be, you know, the afternoon, you know, highlighted game uh, if, if they were this great a team. And But when you watch them on film, they were an excellent, excellent team. Um, you know, we came out and we performed that way. I don't think we played very well at all. Uh, turned the ball over a bunch, gave up some long touchdowns on defense. I, I, I don't think the game would really played very well at all as a team. Despite the lax approach to preparation, the Gators actually had a solid first half and took a 17-7 lead into the locker room. But the third quarter ultimately changed the course of the game and the season, with Ahmad Black remembering the turnovers and defensive breakdowns that allowed the Rebels to run rampant and outscore the Orange and Blue 17-0 in the third quarter. I don't think we were super focused. Um, I mean, we kept fumbling the ball. We, we, we couldn't tackle again. Uh, we missed a bunch of tackles, easy tackles too. Um, missed, missed assignments. I know they went... They ran Ohio route. Ohio route is you got two receivers, slot receiver runs an out route, about like a five, ten yard out route. Outside guy goes vertical. And what that does is it's try to catch us in the cover two. And when that number two runs that out route, that corner is sit. All right. And when that corner sits, they'll try to hit us in the honey hole between the safety and the corner. Um with the, with the vertical route from the number one. And that's called Ohio. Freaking called a touchdown up the sideline. Here's Jeff Demps. The only play I remember in Ole Miss is when Tebow didn't get the first down. Mm-hmm. That's the only play I remember. Like, I don't remember anything else about that game. It's mm-hmm. so weird. I know I, I was on special teams, but I, I, it's so weird, man. I don't remember anything about it. So that tells you, I guess, you know, we just <laughs> figured we'll go, we'll go in there and take care of business like we always do. But I, I don't remember anything about it, man. Like, it's so I, – I, to this day, I try to recall the game. But really? that's the only play I can remember is when Tebow didn't get the first. It's like – I don't know, maybe it was a shock, you know, once we lost and it just threw me off. Right. That's the only play I remember with the T-ball. The play in question was in the final minute, with the Gators trailing by one due to a blocked extra point and trying to get in position to kick a game-winning field goal. But they never got that chance, as Tebow was stuffed on a fourth and one from the 31-yard line and Ole Miss ran out the clock. The two touchdown underdogs stunned the Gators and left everyone in disbelief, including Mick Hubert up in the broadcast booth. You know, we as Gator fans, and we, we see the Gator Florida flashbacks come on, you know, we always want to see the Gators win games. Well, the fact of the matter is the Gators win so many games that when other people are picking Florida flashbacks, they don't pick the wins <laughs> because those aren't the news stories. The right. news stories are, hey, look at Florida got beat. So inevitably you'll tune on, you'll tune in somewhere that's there's having old football replays and you're going to see Florida getting beat by somebody. And many times you're going to see Florida getting beat by Mississippi because that was the game that birthed the Tim Tebow speech. 
And, and yet, as I remember watching and calling that game, I never felt that we were going to lose the game. You know, that's almost a situation where the game ends and you think, man, we just ran out of time. You know, we mm -hmm. just, we, we, we weren't ahead after 60 minutes. I don't have any doubt that if we'd have played a little bit more, we'd have beat them, but that's not the object of the game. The object is who's got more points after 60 minutes. And when it was over, it was like this, it was a feeling of disbelief. Like, I can't believe what I just saw. Florida 30, Ole Miss 31. Mm -hmm. How'd that happen? Well, we didn't play our best game. We, we, we didn't sting. But, you know, Ole Miss played a very great game, maybe the best game they played in years. They had to have played the way they did at the level which they played to beat Florida, and Florida had to be a little bit off its game. And that's exactly what happened in that game. And then, you know, the speech thereafter, and as, they, as we all like to say, the rest is history. While Gator Nation slowly filed out of the swamp, still in shock at what they had just witnessed, Tim Tebow was answering questions at his post-game press conference. And after the last question from the assembled media, he had something to say. To the fans and everybody in Gator Nation, um, I'm sorry. Um, extremely sorry. You know, we were hoping for an undefeated season. That was my goal. Something the floor has never done here. But I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season, and you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season, and you never see a team play harder than we will the rest of the season. God bless. On our next episode, the Gators take the promise to heart and begin blazing a trail of destruction through the SEC. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for joining us for this latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats. <laughs>